Our opening scripture reading for this morning is from Psalm 103. Hear the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's join in singing the uh, hymn on the screen, Praise the Lord, the Almighty. And I think it's a good idea to stand and at least exercise. Even if you can't sing, you can hum or acknowledge the word. So let's stand for the uh, hymn number um, on the screen, verses 1 and 4. I mentioned to someone this morning that I had my uh, uh, most recent dental appointment a couple weeks ago, and the hygienist was cleaning my teeth, and she said that she had to wear this six hours a day, and she went home completely exhausted. So I'm hoping that I'm not up here for six hours. But anyway, this is um, certainly a trial that we all have to go through from time to time. We welcome each of you to worship this morning. If you're new or visiting with us today, we extend a special greeting. We trust that you'll be blessed during this hour and also refreshed for kingdom service. It occurred to me that during this time of pandemic, we can listen to sermons and sing hymns in our living room, but gathering in community cannot be replaced. Just a couple of quick announcements, um, and you'll see more of them as we put our care page on the screen. Uh, First of all, Pastor Bill and Mary Lynn are on their way to the Carolinas, and hopefully they're going to avoid any weather. Um, It looks like they're in for a rainy week, but at least uh, uh, hopefully we pray for their safety and a good time visiting Bill's mom and family. And then I think 
Um, I don't know if Bill would allow me to do this or, or Luke, um, but I'm going to make a commercial announcement, if you don't mind. You'll see it in our bulletin. Uh, for the past three, maybe four, three months perhaps, a radio program called Groundwork. It's on WHTC at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. There's also a website that has that transmission on it. It's a, it's a um, discussion, a Bible study slash sermonette by Phil, um, Scott Jose and um, David Bast. Scott from the CRC and, and uh, David from the RCA. And they do a Bible study, and they've been doing this for a long time. But if you're up early enough, I would encourage you to tune that in. I started maybe three, four months ago. They went through the Apostles' Creed. Um, since then, they've gone through Job, and now they're talking about biblical justice. But definitely worth 25 minutes of, or 20 minutes of your time. Um, I've made that a regular habit between my breakfast um, coffee um, to listen to that before I come to church. So I encourage you to, to tune in if you haven't already. We also welcome Pastor Luke Carrick to our pulpit this morning. Um, you know him as the pastor of our fusion community. He's now in the process, as most of you know, to leave for his native Ireland later this month to begin a brand new ministry. We wish you Godspeed, Luke, and look forward to your message here this morning. And the screen for our Heidelberg Catechism should be popping up. There it is. I'll read the question, and if you would follow with the answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's stand and sing verses uh, 1 and 2 of Spirit of the Living God, humming or singing softly.
like to introduce this morning's congregational prayer with a reading from Titus, a book that apparently escapes our attention a lot, but Titus has a lot of good things to say in a very short time. He says in chapter 2, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Let's pray. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, we approach you this morning with fear and with reverence, with joy and happiness, with humility and love for such a salvation that we can enjoy in your presence. We pray that you will accept our praise and our thanksgiving, and at the same time, we acknowledge our own unworthiness. You ask for our hands that you might use them for your purpose. We gave them for a moment, then withdrew them because the work was so hard. You asked for our mouths to speak out against injustice, and we gave you a whisper that we would not be accused. You asked for our eyes that we might see the pain of poverty, and we closed them because we really didn't want to see. You asked for our lives that you might work through us, and we gave you a small part that we might not get too involved. Lord, forgive our calculated efforts to serve you only when it's convenient to do so, only in those places where it's safe to do so, and only with those who make it easy to do so. Forgive us and renew us to make us usable instruments that we might take seriously the meaning of your cross. Almighty God, we humbly ask for your forgiveness to make us like a tree planted by the waterside that we might bring forth fruits of good living in due season. Sanctify us through your spirit and direct us in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. We thank you for sending our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to call us from death to life. We have heard your call and we seek to do your redemptive will in this world, in this community, in this church where you have given us a name and a place. We know that you are a loving Father who hears and answers our prayers, our petitions, and our heartfelt desires. Not a day goes by where we do not feel your presence. Our needs and wants are always known to you, but our special concerns we present to you this morning. We pray for Sherry and Wayne Brower and the death of Sherry's sister, we're thankful for fond memories and also especially for the assurance of salvation that only you can give. And to Bob and Mary Ann Baker and their family as they mourn the passing of their granddaughter Kim, <clears throat> we are always saddened to lose someone so young and so vibrant. Yet we praise God for the testimony she gave us for her dependence on her Heavenly Father. And we also pray for Barb Poole this morning, who continues to undergo tests for complications from her recent stroke. 
Give her the peace of knowing that you love and care for her. Gracious God, we thank you for the gifts that belong not to us alone, but to all of our sisters and brothers the world over, since they too were created in your image. Let their need be our need. Let their hunger become our hunger and grant to us a portion of their pain so that in sharing ourselves, we may discover the Christ who walks among us. We rejoice in our salvation, and we ask that this joy may radiate in our personalities, our attitudes, and our behavior. Father, forgive us for thinking small thoughts of you and for ignoring the immensity, your immensity and greatness. Do not let us forget that you rule large nations and also our small lives. Do not let us minimize your power. Remind us continually of your promise that you hear and answer the prayers of your people. You are faithful to respond, and we need to be faithful to lay our cares before you. So we pray for your listening ear and your caring love as we present our petitions to you. So bless us now, Father, as we gather around your word and be with Pastor Luke as he brings your message of hope and promise this morning. Give us attentive hearts and minds to follow your will and live our lives dedicated to your service. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Ron. Ron hoped he wouldn't be up here for six hours. You hope that I won't be up here for six hours. (laughs) I can't believe I've been here one year already and we've never done this. Thank you for having me. And I'm on my way out now in (laughs) in a couple of months. But thank you so much, guys, for having me here. And Bill is having a well deserved Sunday away. And we trust that uh, him and Mary Lynn are well. We're continuing this morning our series through the Psalms. And our Psalm for this morning is Psalm 63. And before I read that, let's just go to God in a word of prayer. Lord, none of us are here by accident this morning. You've called each one of us to this place, in this moment, at this time, to read this text. Lord, I pray that we would receive this morning that which you have for us. Lord, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you this morning, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 63. A psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. 
With singing, my lips, my, the lips of my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we begin this morning, I'd like to begin with a statement. And Ron, you mentioned Scott Jose. He was my preaching professor at seminary, and I can hear him in the distance sigh somewhere when I say that. (laughs) But I'm going to begin this morning with a statement and break the rules that I was taught at seminary. And the statement is this. Disorientation can lead to transformation. Disorientation can lead to transformation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, disorientation in our lives, disruption that knocks us off balance can be an opportunity for fruitful growth as we find our feet again. When our lives undergo significant disruption by events and circumstances beyond our control, that disruption or disorientation can be an arena in which we experience growth and formative change. Disorientation can lead to transformation. And disorientation, of course, is painful. It can be hard when what is familiar gets taken away, when our regular rhythms of operating gets upended. This can be chaotic and oftentimes an agonizing experience. But amidst that, amidst that change and that disorientation, there is an opportunity to gain a fresh perspective to learn something new, to undergo formative growth. Disruption and disorientation, though hard in our lives, can be a catalyst for growth. Disorientation can lead to transformation. And I'd like to prove my point with the help of the wisdom of Disney. And I recognize there's few children here today, but you'll have to summon the child within because we've all got one. (laughs) But Simba... In the Lion King, he had it pretty good up there on Pride Rock until his father, Mufasa, is slain. And this disorientating situation puts Simba on a journey of transformation to be the king he was meant to be. Disorientation leading to a transformation. We don't have children here today, and we also don't have many teenagers here today. You'll have to summon the teenager within you as well. (laughs) Or take Marvel's Iron Man. Perhaps you've seen that as an example. Tony Stark was a womanizing arms dealer. Until he is kidnapped, he receives a life-threatening injury, disorientation, and that puts him on a transformative journey to become the hero we now know as Iron Man. Disorientation can lead to transformation. At seminary, they threw us into what's called a cross-cultural internship. And the point of this was to teach us how to minister in a context that was significantly different from our own. And entering into that unfamiliar space was disorientating. These were new cultures, new people groups, new experiences, new stories, and it was unfamiliar and disorientating. But 
we grew in profound and new ways within this new space. Disorientation can lead to transformation. I think you get the point. (laughs) David is an example of one whose life undergoes serious disorientation, yet in the midst of it, God uses it to produce transformation in his life. And Psalm 63, in this psalm, David is undergoing some disorientation. Life, as David has known it, is being disrupted, upended. We're told in the little introduction at the beginning of the psalm that David is in the desert of Judah. Now, what's the king of Israel doing in the desert of Judah? The shepherd children and the nomads, they wander around the desert, not the king of Judah or the king of Israel. What's going on? Why is David in the desert? What's the story surrounding Psalm 63? Well, David at the point of this psalm is the king. We know that because verse 11 tells us so. The king will rejoice in God. David is the king at the point of Psalm 63. And the kingdom over which David rules, Israel, is pretty well established. David has subdued, we know, from First and Second Samuel. David has subdued the surrounding nations who pay him homage. David has a vast stockpile of, of uh, gold and silver from years of victories. David's children are grown and enjoying the benefits of being a part of the royal family. David's throne sits in Jerusalem, where the Ark of the Covenant now resides. The Ark, of course, represents God's presence and power among his people. And David goes into the, in Jerusalem, David goes into the tent of meetings where the ark is and he worships with God and he receives spiritual refreshment in this place, God's sanctuary, God's dwelling place. David is the king in Psalm 63. And the king belongs in Jerusalem where his throne is and where the ark of the covenant is. So why is David out in the desert praying prayers for help? Well, David is undergoing some dis orientation. David's son, Absalom, has staged a masterfully crafted coup to dethrone his father. And you can read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 14 to 17. Over a period of four years, Absalom craftily worked his plan. Absalom slowly grew his arsenal of chariots and men. Absalom slowly worked into the hearts of the people of Israel to win their favor. He slowly worked a campaign of false promises. Imagine that. (laughs) Haven't heard that before. And when the time finally came for Absalom to execute his plan, he set up shop in Hebron, the very place where David was crowned king. And Absalom sent a secret message to all the tribes of Israel that when the trumpet blows throughout the land, he will be the new king. And Absalom cleverly invited 200 of David's advisors to come to Hebron, not knowing what they were getting themselves in for. He crafted this creative, cunning plan. And when David receives the news that his son is out to kill him, that the people are mobilized against him, he flees to the desert of Judah. David is unprepared and outnumbered, so he takes to the Judean wilderness, away from his throne in Jerusalem, away from the Ark of the Covenant, away from the life as he had known it. One day, David is sitting on his throne in Jerusalem and everything's gravy. (laughs) The next day, a trumpet blows 
And suddenly he's on the run, away from, from his kingdom, his family in ruins, away from the place of worship, the sanctuary where God resides. Disorientation. But what's most disruptive for David, I think, is that he does not have access to the sanctuary. When David is forced into the desert, he's forced away from the place of worship, away from the ark, away from that place where he encounters the presence of God, the place of refreshment, spiritual refreshment, where he goes to receive nourishment from God. And we hear that echoed in the first verse. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My body longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David out in the desert with his kid nipping at his heels longs to be back in the place of worship where God resides. My body longs to be where you are, God. David is undergoing some serious disorientation. And I think this psalm and the story surrounding it has significant resonance within our particular moment. Perhaps you're fed up hearing the term COVID-19 by now. <laughs> I know I am. I'm sorry to bring it up again today. <laughs> but this wretched virus dropped into our lives like Absalom's trumpet on a far-off hill. <laughs> when it blew... It took most of us by surprise, and when it blew, it changed everything. It has. Life as we had known it is not the same. We are in a global, national, personal moment of disorientation. It has changed the way many of us work and shop and socialize and come to church. Greetings to those who are joining us from home. Teachers have to teach differently. If you've been to the dentist or the doctors, it feels like you're entering a secret service facility. You experience that? He's here. Okay, let him in. Yeah. It's intense. Our beautiful smiles have been replaced with not so fetching fabrics. <laughs> the impact of this disorientating season is deep and wide. You don't need reminding of that. But for the people of God, for followers of Jesus, I think what has been most disorientating to us in this season is its effect on our worship. Its effect on our worship. The usual way that we meet and engage with God has been drastically impacted. Like David, we've been forced away, we've been forced away from the place of worship. Our usual avenues for receiving spiritual nourishment, for engaging with God and his people has been disrupted changed and this has been disorientating to our spiritual life i think perhaps we agree with the psalmist when he says that my body longs for you in a dry and weary land maybe our sanitized socially distant worship feels like a bit of an exile in the desert i don't know it's not what we're used to is it it's unfamiliar on a regular Sunday, we would want to fill this place to capacity in worship of our risen Savior, wouldn't we? <laughs> We'd want to embrace each other with handshakes and hugs and say together those ancient words, the peace of Christ be with you. 
We want to tear a big loaf of bread and pass it to one another. That's an expression of our love and concern for one another, the body of Christ given for you. We want to stand shoulder to shoulder, not six feet apart, with the old and the young and sing in boisterous chorus and worship of our God. We want to do all the embodied practices that the people of God have done for 2,000 years. But we can't. We can't. For a host of reasons, most notably safety. And it's disorientating. Like David, we're forced away from the sanctuary where the ark resides. Our usual ways of meeting with God are far from us, and it's disorientating. But I'd like to remind you of the statement I made at the start. That disorientation can lead to a transformation. And a question I am beginning to ask in this season is I wonder if in the midst of this disruption there are new lessons to be learned, new avenues for our faith to be grown and strengthened. I wonder if there are new ways of encountering and experiencing the things of God that we were not attuned to before. I wonder in this very season of disruption, what formative growth God might be seeking to produce in our lives, in this church, in the church, in this nation. I wonder, in the midst of this disorientation, how God might be seeking to transform us. There's a common pattern in the life of David. David is most attentive to the things of God when his life is in chaos. David enters into deep soul conversation with the living God when his life is in chaos. In fact, if you explore the Psalms of David, you would see that the majority of them emerge out of adversive, challenging, difficult circumstances. David, amid disorientation, delves deeper into the things of God, and we see him grow. We see him transform. We have the collection of Psalms of David from the first stint in the wilderness when he was younger and Saul was on the hunt for David. And we see in these prayers that even though David is fearful and alone at times, we see his trust and his rest in God grown as he, he trusts in the protection and the provision of God. David is an example of one who God transforms through adverse and disorientating circumstances. God grows and deepens David's life of faith amid crisis and disruption. His psalms attest to that. And Psalm 63, our psalm for today, bears witness to that too. We've already read in verse 1 how David thirsts for God like the desert thirsts for water. David longs to be back in the presence of God. He longs to be back in the tent, the sanctuary, where the Ark of the Covenant is known to reside. But the verses following reveal David's realization that God is not confined to the Ark or to a tent, but right out here under the desert sky, God's sheltering wings are over me, says David. Right here among the desert dust, David can worship and be refreshed. He says this, 
I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. I've been in that place where you are, Lord. I've tasted it. I've experienced it. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. And I hear David saying here, for all my life, no matter what the circumstances, no matter where I am, I will worship you, because you're the source of life to me, says David. And I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of food, with singing my lips, with with singing the lips of my mouth will praise you. On my bed I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, night or day, Jerusalem or the desert, disaster or delight. I will worship and receive your abundant refreshment, says David. And then he says this, and I want to focus on it for a moment. David says in verse 7, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. Out here on the desert hill, says David, I'm covered, I am sheltered, I am shadowed by your gracious wings, Lord. And this reference to wings is important. I wonder if David has in mind the wings of the cherubim that sit on top of the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant that sits in the sanctuary in Jerusalem are two golden angelic beings called cherubim. And their wings reach over the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the space where God's very presence is known to reside. And David says, I sing in the shadow of your wings. And I wonder if David is summoning that very image of the wings over the Ark. That even out here in the wilderness with my son after my life and my kingdom in jeopardy are your wings over me. God's presence with me, around me. And it's in God's presence that David says, I cling to you. My right hand upholds, your right hand upholds me. In God's presence, David feels his hand clasped tightly in God's, never to let him go. I think it's amazing in the midst of such a disorientating experience of your family in ruins, your kingdom in jeopardy, you're sleeping in the sand in the desert, yet you can celebrate and take joy and comfort in knowing that the sheltering, covering, gracious wings of God are above you. David learns that the God who is present in the sanctuary is the God who is present in the desert. David demonstrates, even in the midst of disorientating circumstances, how God can use it to grow us in deep relationship with him. Though our circumstances may change through a whole manner of disorientations, from COVID-19 to the personal disorientations we experience in our lives, God does not change. And God invites us in the midst of these circumstances, friends, to cling like the psalmist ever so tighter, to go deeper as we become more and more aware of his presence in our lives. At seminary, I was having a discussion one Monday morning with a professor about vestments. You know what vestments are? Those big robes that some pastors wear, a big black robe that has the wizard wings, you know those? Well, I was chatting with my professor about how I disliked vestments because the Sunday just prior to that Monday, I was preaching at a church in Detroit. 
And when I arrived there, they handed me vestments. They said, here, can you put these on, please? I said, uh, no. <laughs> but I put them on anyway, and I, it was disorientating. It was uncomfortable. I had these, these big wings on. I'd never done that before. It was new to me. And so I was ex- expressing my dislike of vestments. But my professor told me a story of a Lutheran pastor in New York who wore vestments. <laughs> And one day, the pastor was approached by a woman who shared with with him that she'd walked away from the faith, partly due to being mistreated by some church folk, but she'd walked away from the faith. She'd had a uh, a long series of broken relationships, a series of bad choices that had left her wounded and hurt. But she expressed to this pastor how she wanted to recommit her life to Jesus because she felt God was working in her life. She wanted to recommit her life to Jesus and she wanted to begin attending that pastor's church. And of course, the pastor was supportive because ministry opportunities like that don't land in your lap every day. (laughs) On the first Sunday, when she came up to receive communion and she knelt down at the front, as they do in that tradition, the pastor decided that he would lay hands on her and pray for her. She'd been away from the family table for a while, and he wanted to welcome her back in a special way. And so when she kneeled down at the front to receive communion, the pastor with his vestments, his big wings, he laid his hands on her and he prayed for her. And when he did so, her head and her whole body were covered with the wings of his vestments. She was encased in this little silo of his fabric. And the woman recalled for the first time understanding what the psalmist meant when he said, under the shadow of your wings. As she knelt there returning to God with the pastor's vestments covering her, she was reminded of the forgiveness, of the welcome of the presence of God at work in her life. And this is a covering, friends, that is not bound to a person or to a place, but this rests above us and in us this very day. In fact, Jesus, he described himself like a mother hen who gathers her chicks under his wings for protection and care. Life can be disorientating. We are in a moment of disorientation, friends. But we are forever covered, sheltered, shadowed by our gracious God. And God invites us, even now in the midst of this, to grip tighter, like the psalmist says, to delve deeper in relationship to God. And I reckon that when we do that and continue to do that, even in this season, God will transform us for the good of his kingdom, and for our good. Amen? Will you pray with me? Lord, our life is not our own, but we belong in body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus. As we have already said, Lord, who watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head, without the will of our Father in heaven. Thank you for watching over us, O God. Thank you that you are mindful of us even though we don't deserve it. Thank you that even in the midst of this messy, broken world, you cover us with your wings of grace 
You clothe us in your protection. You secure us in salvation. Lord, what a joy. Father, help us in the midst of this season as we still walk through it and try to navigate it. Help us to cling ever so tightly to your hand. For you never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you and we praise you. In the mighty name of our Savior Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Friends, as you respond as we stand together and continue to worship. Well, friends, as we leave this place, know that God goes with you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and remain with you always. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I think Ron has some instructions for you. As um, in the past, we want to dismiss uh, orderly. We're not at West Point or the uh, Naval Academy, but if we would just follow um, protocol, uh, that way we could practice social distancing. So try not to assemble in the back over here. Um, and this week we'll do something just a tad differently. Um, I'm going to dismiss you folks um, from the front. 
and work my way back. So if you could just kind of follow that protocol, and if you want to exit on that aisle or that aisle or down the middle, that's fine. Just uh, keep your distance from, um, from your neighbor.